BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. All right, everyone, welcome back. Before we get into today's conversation, which I'm really so excited about and has sat with me for a couple weeks afterwards with some major reflective thoughts, I just want to share with you something else exciting that's happening. And that's tomorrow, July 26th, I have my collab with Brunette the Label that is launching. Now, this collab has a heart behind it, and that is Romance or being a romantic, and not for somebody else, but for you. This collection was inspired by the one relationship that outlives and outloves all others, the one with yourself. You see, when we hear the word self-love, we translate it oftentimes to a feeling. But self-romance, that is love in action. It's a wooing, a dating, an everlasting love, a gentle reminder that you, after all, are the one. With the whimsy and romance that flowers represent, with the whimsy and romance that flowers represent, we bring you clothing and accessories to celebrate your romance. And this collection is available in extra small to 5X. It is loungewear like you have never experienced before. And we have it in mini sizes as well, going from six months to 12 youth. Brunette the Label is iconic in the sweat set, lounge set industry. They are loved by celebrities like Serena Williams and Selena Gomez. This is an unbelievable collection, if I do say so myself. It has been years in the making, and I'm so excited that tomorrow at 8 a.m. Pacific time, 11 a.m. Eastern, that's on July 26th, it's going to launch for everyone to be able to get their hands on it. Thank you so much for that support and excitement, and I can't wait for you to see this collection. If you haven't already, go over to my Instagram at the birds papaya or check out at brunette the label as well. All right, let's get into the show. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, Tran Hermostis, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. recently stumbled upon an article called my mom wrote about my obesity in vogue when I was seven. Here's how it affected me. I read the article and I immediately reached out to the young woman whose mother wrote about her in vogue about her weight, whose mother was glamorized and praised for publicly dieting her daughter 
And while this is like a big splashy story, it's also not an uncommon one. A lot of us, a lot of people, a lot of especially women have had their parents put them on diets over the years and it really affected their mental health or even just comments about your weight, let alone how many of us have been surrounded by women constantly dieting. It's all too relatable. It's all too real. And today we're going to be talking about what that is to grow up in it, to have it be the whole world know about it and her unpacking that story today. So please welcome Betty. Betty Gabovi-Weiss, thank you so much for coming on the Papaya Podcast. Thanks so much for opening your story. I'm sort of like, I'm already in awe of you because to speak out so widely and publicly about somebody like your own mother is really tough. And I think why so many of these conversations don't happen because nobody wants to hurt people's feelings. And yet these things were written about you when you were little too. So talk to me, first of all, tell us who you are and what you do and let's get into this entire conversation. Yeah, totally. So I'm Betty Kabobi Weiss. I'm 18. I'm a student. I'm going into my sophomore year of college next year. And I sort of got into this. So, so the reason that you, I might be, that might be interesting to you or who I am might be interesting is because I write and speak about body image and body confidence and, you know, diet culture and the impact that society and beauty standards have on girls' confidence, especially throughout their teenage years. And I sort of got into doing all of that almost by accident, I think. I don't see myself as a particularly unique example of someone who has struggled with my weight or has struggled with confidence. But when I was very young, I was diagnosed with childhood obesity. And then my mom and my doctor both sort of worked together to put me on a pretty regimented diet to to respond to that medical need. Then my mom wrote about that experience in an, first in an article in Vogue and then in a book that also spoke more about her relationship with food and her relationship with her body. And so though my experience is not unique, it was talked about very widely in a way that most people's relationships with their bodies are, are not publicized to that degree. And yeah, it's it's been an interesting experience over the past. I, I've been speaking on like social media, my own personal channels about body image, really starting since my second year of high school. So it's been about four years now. More recently, I've been writing about it in the media and, and speaking about it in the media. And that has been a really interesting and, and exciting experience. But it's it's definitely tough to come under scrutiny and like it's something that people have a lot of difficulty talking about. And so to really be in the public image of all of that has been, you know, at times a little bit, a little bit tricky. Talk to me about that first article. Were you aware at the time to the degree of what was going on? So like the Vogue article was basically in celebration of your mother dieting you. And I mean, story of the times also like, what was it 10 years ago now? Yeah. I just am like, it's such a, it's such an interesting thing. Cause I feel like everyone's conversation about their body starts with, well, my mother, and I always pause and I go, but what about her? And what did her mother say? And like, what totally. are we the generation? I'm, I'm speaking as if I'm the same generation of you sort of, are we the, are we the generation to break that cycle? I hold a lot of empathy for mothers. However, what yours was, was so public and yeah. 
I feel like because it was so celebratory about you losing weight at such a young age, it just feels like it puts you into a different track that when you first said that, like, my story is not unique, I'm like, yes, it is. You really wrote about it in Vogue for Pete's sake about <laughs> your weight when you were a child. Did, were you aware at the time what was going on and why you were being praised and like the photo shoot and everything? Was there was there part of you that was very aware of it all or is there part and because I think a lot of us are still very connected to our our childhood selves so I wonder how much of it is like truly stuck with you yeah I think I mean I was I grew up in New York City I was around you know a lot of media all the time I Mm. I saw Vogue you know in in stores I I was aware of you know my mom just loves pop culture too so I was always Mm. like very you know pop culture aware. And so I did know that Vogue was a big deal. And I knew, Mm. of course, like, I, yeah, I've talked in a few interviews about this, about like, the day of the photo shoot that we did for Vogue. And I remember, like, they came over and they did my hair and like, they brought these racks and racks of clothes that the photographer was like, yeah, my, my daughters are always so jealous that you, that like, girls we photograph get access to all these clothes. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm so special. I'm so awesome. Another detail was like, I had black nail polish on because I was very edgy as a seven-year-old. <laughs> and the photographer was like nervous that they would get in trouble for me having such a sort of like adult nail polish color. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to care about like what color my nails are. That's so like fancy. But yeah, it was super fun. And like, I felt extremely glamorous, glamorous. And like, it was that really confirmed to me that this piece was like, this was a celebration of like me and my, you know, like, I mean, truthfully, like it was a a celebration of my newfound beauty. Like that is sort of what it was, how at least it was received, I think from the public, which, which makes a lot of sense as to why people, there was a lot of backlash. Like, I think it was this sort of like, people saw it as look at my daughter who is now so skinny and now so cute and now so pretty. And she wasn't before, which I think is not at all what my mom intended. I've, yeah, I think like in terms of what sticks with me now, until I'd started writing about this, I really hadn't like talked to my mom that much about what motivated her to specifically to actually like publicize what we had done and what we had gone through. I understood the motivation for like the diet itself, but I think the publicity was something that I had always sort of wondered about and had not really confronted with her. And so we had a conversation just like earlier uh, last year, I think, about this. And she was saying like, you were such an awesome kid growing up and you were not someone that was like lazy or unhealthy or, you know, you were just a normal kid who loved food Mm -hmm. and loved cupcakes and whatever. And Mm -hmm. so the fact that you were someone that was struggling with childhood obesity and the health risks that come with that and the social stigma that comes with that and everything that is sort of negative that's associated with being fat, especially when you're little. I felt so strongly that I wanted to protect you and that I felt like we need to change this conversation about how children, that children with childhood obesity are like branded in this very negative light and their parents are painted in this very negative Mm -hmm. light of like, oh, if only you had just parented them better, if only they, you know, worked out or weren't so, again, like lazy is often a word that was used. Mm-hmm. And I think she really felt like, no, these kids are just normal kids who have a disease, who, who are struggling with obesity. And yes, of course, like it is because of the way that they're eating. It is because maybe they're not exercising enough, but they're not bad people, which I think she felt was how these 
kids and parents were being portrayed. And yeah, so I think that the the desire to talk about it publicly came out of a very well-intentioned place in the same way that now I want to write and and speak about body image and about the mm-hmm. fact that like we have these ideas of what fat people are like and what you know, bodies should look like and the types of people that deserve certain bodies or have worked for certain bodies that is just, am I allowed to curse? Like, I, yes. that's just like bullshit. Like, I don't, I don't think it's, you know, it's, it's crazy that the amount of blame I think that we put mm-hmm. on people for, mm-hmm. for their bodies when so much of the way that we look is a just genetic and like yep. not based on anything we can do, but also based on you know, the way that, that we grew up and the way that society has like taught us we should eat or shouldn't eat. And so, yeah, I think that it's something that my mom and I actually have much more similar ways of thinking. We have a very similar mindset in a way that it took me a long time to realize that. And I think also the, the public doesn't really believe me (laughs) that we get along or that we have like a lot in common. I think it's a beautiful story that you do because I think that like, I'm a mom, moms are humans. And I know that at every waking moment of my day that we're humans and it's one of those jobs in life or those roles in life that you don't ever get to figure out if you did a good job. You basically raise kids and you do everything. When your doctor is rewarding you and telling you you're doing the right thing, that's a really hard thing to know you're doing the wrong thing, maybe based on what society learns 10 years from now. And that's like a really important perspective because it is a very splashy thing when we read, you know, uh, a story now talking about context 10 years ago, very, very different stories. I mean, we, I don't know anybody in my relational world that didn't grow up with a mother actively talking about their own bodies and dieting, potentially also talking about their own. Your mom just talked about it a little bit more publicly, obviously in a much bigger way. And you're now doing the work to sort of dismantle a lot of what was talked about and those types of things. Now I'll tell you first plan firsthand as a parent, also the whole conversations around obesity and like fatness in general, just inherently being one unhealthy and two, just that it's like obese. There's always like obesity kills. Like you can't ignore the numbers. Like obesity is bad. It's all these things. And I find it, first of all, so funny that nobody gives a shit about anything except for obesity. Like nobody's double checking on anybody else's like health patterns whatsoever. But if you're mm-hmm. fat, you're inherently negative and bad. But I took my kid to sup- to the doctor for something that was genuinely going on. And their first response was weight. And their first response was diet and all of these things. And I was like, but you haven't even asked her what she eats. You don't even ask her what her lifestyle is. Why are we so immediately into that? And every single time I get in conversation with people who exist in obese bodies or fat bodies or whatever label that works for them, they are truly like every time I go to the doctor for anything I'm sent home and told to lose weight. So yeah, obesity kills because we have very, very broken systems that essentially are empowering parents to put their seven, eight-year-old child on diets and celebrate that. That is a that is a bit of a broken system, right? That's not actually creating good tools and boundaries. It's, you know, it's calling it things that it isn't. What's your relationship now with the word obesity and sort of like unpacking what it is now that you're, you know, growing into adulthood and maybe we can, you can kind of share what it was like after I always like, cause I'm somebody who was a former weight loss story. So I always love to sort of tell the story after the after photo. So what was life between then and now? Yeah. So 
Well, to the first question, just about like labels, I think like Mm -hmm. labels and words are such an interesting conversation, especially about weight, because like, I mean, I remember when I was going through weight loss, the initial time when I was seven, but then also, you know, of course I regained weight and had to lose it again over and over and over again. And I often would say like, oh, I just want to be skinny or like, oh, I want to be skinny. And I think my mom actually did a really good job of saying like, no, the goal is not for you to be skinny. The goal is for you to be healthy. And I think like in retrospect, she perhaps has some regrets about the amount of weight that she had me lose initially feeling like it wasn't, it never got to a point of being unhealthy that I was had so small, but that it went beyond just the limit of healthiness and was, you know, perhaps like did veer into that of like, oh, let's just keep going. Let's like actually get you into a body that is more conventional as like skinny and as conventional as it possibly could be which was the only time in my life that I have ever been. <laughs> you know I look at photos and I'm like oh my gosh I look like skinny. I got to shop at the regular yeah the regular know, sections like, of stores when you've like dipped into the skinny pool for like a hot second you are very aware how different society treats you and it only makes you I don't know for me like I'm a size 12 now and I'm not like a I was a size zero for a hot second and oh you were you are grossly aware of how different people treat you and how much more the world is structured for your sake. And everyone thinks that it will be like the nicest feeling in the world. And it is until you remember and then it gets hard again, right? Like you you constantly have to live with both all sides of yourself. But sorry, go on. No, yes, I I totally agree. And I think like I'm I'm also a size 12 and I, I struggle with like, do I call myself, especially now there's this like terminology of being like mid size versus plus size. And it's like, I'm not really either of those things. Like I'm, I'm not plus size because I don't want to say like oh, the struggles of being a plus size girl. When like if I'm a size twelve, I can shop in like not every store, but a lot of stores. And so there are like so many women who struggle with, you know, being overweight to a point that is like much more severe and much mm-hmm. more stigmatized than what I struggle with. But I feel like if you're a mid size girl, like if you're a size six or a size eight, you can shop at, you know, that's also a struggle that is different from the one that I feel like I face. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I I think in terms of the word obese, you know, I I think I've, I've often tried to just like focus on words as, as objective as possible and try Mm -hmm. to take, take away the, the weight that a lot of words have. And so like something like obese, like I was diagnosed with childhood obesity because my BMI was over a certain amount. That was just generic evaluation of my body. Whereas, and so I often like try to, this sounds sort of backwards, but like I try to call myself fat as much as possible because I think like it is not, to be fat is not an inherently bad thing. The fact that I like was fat or am fat or whatever is not a bad thing. It's just a description of the way that my body looks relative to what we consider as like standard or, you know, and of course, like we think that certain things are standard because we have these moral associations with fatness and skinniness. But I think that what has been most helpful for me is seeing my body objectively as much as that is like possible and taking away the sort of like good, bad associations with the way that you look. But yeah, labels are something that I think is really hard, especially because everyone has different labels and different comfort levels with different things. Like I'm never going to call anyone else fat, even if I would call myself fat. And so to your question about after the after picture, I love that like classification. Yeah. I, so yeah, as I mentioned, like I first, so I first lost weight when I was seven and then 
I think probably about two years later, I needed to go on another diet, maybe three years later. So the first diet that I did was sort of like Weight Watchers style. It was like red light, yellow light, green light for different amounts of calories so that kids could like understand it a little bit better. Then I cut out carbs when I was in sixth grade. And I would go like into school when we, there would be birthday parties. My teacher would have like a bag of sugar-free candy that I was allowed to have like two pieces of, which I know it like, it seems sort of sad and, and it was, yeah. but I, I also like, it was something that was sort of motivated by myself. I think another big shift in me and my mom's relationship was inst- the first diet was very much like imposed upon me. Mm-hmm. And I think after that, after I had learned what that experience of dieting was like once it was more collaborative. Often I, you know, would get very frustrated and I would blame my mom and whatever, but it would be like, I feel like I've gained weight. I want to lose weight again. Here is like a diet that I'm motivated to do. So yeah, first it was cutting out carbs. Then I went to actual Weight Watchers. I did keto. I like when the big like soul cycle craze of 2000 and whatever, 14, I like was there and I like lied about my age because I was I think I was like 10 and you had to be 13 or I was oh, eight. Wow. No, yeah, I think that was what it was. And I like, so I said that I had been born in 2000 instead of 2003. And yeah, that's just like, I, so it was over and over again. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, even now, like my most recent attempt. So yeah, I went keto in my junior year of high school. So two or three years ago. And then recently, like I just finished my first year at college and I think like that was a really hard transition. And I sort of expected like, okay, I've been doing this dieting thing for 10 years. Like I Mm -hmm. I grew up in New York. I'm very independent. I've been in control of what I eat for most of my life anyway. Like I got this. And then I got to school and I think like the combination of, you know, being really anxious and a lot of like partying and, and whatever it was just, it was a whole different ball game than what I was expecting. And so when I went to my doctor, when I came back home and I was told again for the millionth time that I needed to lose weight in order to get back to a healthy spot, I decided that like dieting was something that I just couldn't, I like couldn't bring myself to muster the energy to do it anymore. And I work out now like three to five times a week. I, I, I really do like try to keep a very healthy lifestyle. And so I decided to go the route of this drug called Ozempic, which is a weight management drug that is used mostly for people with diabetes. But because I am like theoretically pre-diabetic because of my weight, I was prescribed it. That has honestly been like a game changer. And I think mm-hmm. it's it's been difficult for me though, because I feel like, is that like, what does that say? If I'm, if I'm mm-hmm. someone that I, I've been criticized in the past for dieting. I, I, this was in the the article that you read, I think, but I, my high school had a really great idea of having an anonymous posting page that of course could only end well. And some girl posted about me on it and said like, you can't talk about body positivity and also post on your Instagram that you're like on a keto diet. Those things are like, you're, you're fighting both sides of the battle then. Mm. And I really like thought about that for a while. And I responded eventually like on the post, but in in saying like, I don't think that's true, but I also totally get that. Like diet culture contributes so much to fat phobia. And Mm -hmm. for me, like I, my dieting has always come out of a medical need. Yes. But of course that's not necessarily how it's going to look on paper or on Instagram. (laughs) 
Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. How we take care of our minds affects how we experience life. So it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. This is something that I have learned so much over the years. And there's plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps. There's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. For me, therapy has been something that has truly transformed the way I move through this world. I wouldn't have the career I have today if it weren't for the thought starters, tools, and collective of thoughts that I have been able to create from therapy. I say this all the time, but I am who I am because of that kind of support. Therapy for me is something that impacts not only my own personal life, but those around me. When we have unhealed parts of ourselves or unlearned areas, we actually can impact those around us as well. It can impact everything we do. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat-only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anybody on camera if you don't want to. It's also much more affordable than in-person therapy. You can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. And this is the best part. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash papaya. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash papaya. I hope you're taking care of you. I hope you're taking care of your brain. And I hope that if you need it, you reach out to BetterHelp today. All right. If you follow me on Instagram, you know, I love Frank Brody. I love this brand and I'm going to tell you why. I started using Frank Body years ago, and I've scrubbed my way through over a dozen bottles of the original face scrub with the help from my husband as well. At, so, at one point, we were actually so out of it that we cut it open to use all the little bits left inside the container because it is the best. Now, here's the thing. Everyone loves to talk about makeup. They love to talk about the best foundation and the best primers and how to have this like smooth, silky makeup. Well, I've learned... I've learned real well that cakey makeup bunches up wherever skin is dry. So when I use the original face scrub, I get a slick, smooth skin and makeup that lasts all day. It's the product that got me hooked on the brand. But here's why I actually keep coming back. Frank Body is an empowering brand. They love to celebrate all bodies and they bring fun to the bathroom. If you've ever gotten one of those packages, you know what I mean. I really align with their brand values and it's one of the main reasons I'm talking to you about them right now. They are women-founded, Australian-made, with clean ingredients that has super cheeky branding. And I have another favorite product in case you're looking to stock up, and that's the Brightening Vitamin C Mask. It's the ultimate multitasker. It not only brightens, but also clears out pores and firms your skin. Simply put it on five minutes before a big night out, and trust me, you will be glowing. And why am I telling you this? Well, because I have a discount code for you. You can get my two favorite products, the original face scrub and the brightening vitamin C mask for under $50 when you use code papaya at checkout. Plus with free shipping in Canada, that is an amazing deal. Also, you can get 15% off store wide stock up on your fees, but make sure you use that code papaya at frankbody.com. One more time. That's frankbody, F-R-A-N-K-B-O-D-Y.com and use code papaya.
Well, and it's not, it's splashy, right? It's easy for people to grip at that. I I talked one time about not eating so much sugar and people went right to like, why are you trying to lose weight? And I'm like, you have so quickly related sugar to weight because that's actually fat phobic. Like that's actually where it is, is that sugar equals obesity. In, In order for me to eliminate sugar, it must be that. I'm like, actual truth. I get really bad headaches after sugar. It's not good for me. It's what I know for myself. When we're working through different issues with any of my kids, there's been several times, two of them are anemic. Their diet changes based on their medical needs. Same for myself. So it's like these conversations of nuance that keep happening. And I also think there's, if I'm going to be honest, I think there's a lot of people who are actively and openly talking about like anti-diet culture and body positivity or body confidence or body neutrality who are also still struggling in and out of diets. The average person goes on two diets a year for an average of 126 in a lifetime. You can't just tell me that the moment you feel good or confident in yourself that you still don't dabble or struggle or have those moments and those like food moralities. I came out of disordered eating. I don't know that I'll ever exist around food again where I'm not constantly somewhat aware of how many calories I'm having. I dieted so strictly for so long that that is a very hard thing. So when people ask me, am I dieting? No. Am I sometimes doing math in my head? Yes. Should I be like, should you be sort of criticized for the body autonomy choices you've made, even within the realm of trying to like deconstruct why all of this is happening in the first place? Like nuance, nuance, nuance. Like it has to exist there. Otherwise we're just creating a new shame cycle for women. You're not confident enough. You're not body confident enough. You're not body image strong enough. You're not anti-diet culture enough. When the other flip side is our whole life being, you're not thin enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. So honestly, I commend you. It's refreshing to have honesty around like, I'm still, I still diet. Like I'm still on you know, these journeys with myself and my diet while unpacking these things. I, I think that that is just, nobody has said anything like that to me in a really long time, except for like very private conversations. Right. So I think it's, I think it's honest. And I think that it is way more transparent than most people are willing to be because it, you don't want people falling into this hole of because I'm dieting, it must mean that I don't love myself or because I've made this choice for my health. Like I, 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 I publicly shared about working out again and I'm like, oh man, I hope people don't like take this the wrong way, but it's been so, it's good for my health. Like straight up, it's good for my health. I am so grateful and I will never have healthy as like the hierarchy of society either because there's a lot of people who are chronically ill, my mother included, who cannot ever exist in a healthy body. So I'm not going to be like, as long as I'm healthy, I'm good. No, I get it. We have to have these nuanced conversations. However, Working out has been so good for my mental health. I have felt so much more energized by doing it every single day. Like I do a 20 minute in the morning. I've been cleared by my doctor to do that. And that is like an important part of like my own decision-making. However, I still have this like little bit of a hiccup inside of me in talking about it because I understand that everyone's relationship with, like I said about the sugar thing, our relationship with fitness is also equated to being smaller, having a smaller body it yeah. being fat phobic. And that's like so upsetting because like people in all size bodies can like, should be able to strive for their health, eat for how they need to be eating and exercising in the ways that works for them without being constantly criticized for again, not loving themselves enough. Like where do we win? Like where is the winning? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think like it's so right. Cause these, these contradictions are going to exist 
everywhere. Like yes. you're never gonna, you're never gonna win. You're never gonna feel like, of course, I obviously came out of this like huge diet culture. I will always approach food from a perspective of diet. And I think like you're not, you're never gonna be truly able to like escape the society that we live in. And like, mm. yeah, okay, it's easy to blame society and like not take responsibility. But like I spent so long beating myself up for, you know, either being too fat and and needing to lose weight or for like being not true to myself and my like body positive ideals. And I think that's just not fair. Like I love myself enough to know that like I will be I'm treated worse in society. I'm treated worse by like people. I'm treated worse by, you know, on the internet, whatever, in a bigger body. And I have the ability to change that. And it, and it's not that I, you know, I, I wish we lived in a world where smaller did not equal happier, but it has been my experience as someone that has been a range of sizes throughout my whole life that for me, in my like in my body and in my lived experience and interactions with others that like I'm just happier when I'm smaller and that is like a really hard thing to say and to admit mm. because I really wish that wasn't the case and I will never I'm never going to be a size zero like I know that that for me like smaller means like maybe a size 10 if I can like really get there but that you know being conscious about what I'm eating, working out totally. Like I, I never worked out until really the, the pandemic started. And then I was home all the time. So I started doing that pretty regularly. And it's, it's awesome. Like for my mm -hmm. mental health, I feel mm -hmm. like great to just sweat and like really get everything out. You know, like it's, there are reasons besides skinniness that I, you know, treat my body the way that I do, but also yeah. like I, I have to be honest, being small is a motivating factor because everything that I consume in my life tells me that being small is going to make me happier. And I think it's, again, I don't have like crazy expectations for how small I want to be. I will always be this like mid to plus size, whatever term you want to use, girl. I will never shame someone else for not being that way. But I have to accept the reality of my circumstances and the reality of my circumstances is that for me to live like the happiest, healthiest life that involves a certain amount of conscientious eating of working out of, of doing that. And also I, I choose to share that with other people, despite the fact that it might not be the like, yeah, you just love yourself answer mm -hmm. that everyone really wants because that's what everyone is doing. And so mm -hmm. why? Yeah. Like, like you were just saying, why are we, pretending that like you know that everything is not telling us to be skinny Do you know how they say absence makes the heart grow fonder? Well, that's true for my case because I recently went traveling for a week and I left my hydro drug at home. And that's when I realized how much I loved it as if I didn't already know. And if, if I haven't already been talking about it and sharing with you, but in those moments, I realized how dehydrated I was becoming because I wasn't relying on my hydro jug. And I love hydro jug because they are so totable and I'm so silly for leaving it at home, but lesson learned. And there are also so many different options 
depending on what your tastes are and whatever your family might need as well. We have six people in our family. So we have a shelf full of hydro jugs and all of them go to different people because we all have a different preference. There's the pro, which is the OG hydro jug. It has a 73 ounce capacity. It's also BPA free and it's shatterproof. Then there's the glass one. It is so gorgeous, picture perfect, Instagram worthy, all those things, but it also helps keep your water clean and cold while it's looking super cute. Then there's the stainless steel, which gives insulation for hours. If you really want your water to stay cold all day long, then there's the gallon. This one is just the biggest you can get. If you know you're going to be gone all day and you need to make sure your water is ready for you, the gallon hydro jugs are it. Then there's the mini, which is my personal favorite because it fits so well in my bag. And it also is my baby's favorite. The mini hydro jug is truly the perfect size to take anywhere. It has a wide mouth opening for easy cleaning and mixing, and it has an included straw to eliminate the need to purchase extra accessories. It's also, of course, BPA-free and top rack dishwasher safe. Like I said, HydroJug is key to my hydration. That is an undeniable truth at this point. And for anyone who's ever come in our home and seen us with our HydroJugs have often purchased them ourselves, just knowing how much we love them. And that's why I like to share with you as well. Right now, you can get your HydroJug at thehydrojug.com. Use discount code PAPAYA to get 10% off your order today. HydroJugs are game changers for anyone on the go. Again, use code papaya at thehydrojug.com to get 10% off and start hydrating today. Let's get back to the show. What's up, everyone? I'm Kristen Cavallari. And I'm Stephen Coletti. We're so excited to announce Dear Media's new podcast, Back to the Beach with Kristen and Stephen, where we'll revisit all of your favorite episodes of Laguna Beach, The Real Orange County, and unveil behind-the-scenes secrets, tea, and all sorts of new insight into this groundbreaking show. So join us every Tuesday. Available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm already feeling nostalgic. Yeah, it is. It, it actively is. And we're watching people be online and actively be shamed for being anything over a size four or a six. And like to sort of uh, piggyback off of what you're saying, like when you're smaller, you're happier. I had an opposite experience. And I only share that just so that people listening can understand that like your body size and like your relationship with your body can be very diverse. Because when I was smaller, I was obsessed with my body. So I it became my worth. But I also did enjoy the perks of being able to shop everywhere. I enjoyed the way that men looked at me. I'm not going to lie about that. I also enjoyed that women also treated me differently, not sometimes bad, sometimes good, but like I had gone my whole life almost being like invisible. I was never a threat to anybody. I was never attractive to anybody. So it was very enticing for me to suddenly be like, oh my gosh, I'm on the same level. When I look back on photos, I experience a lot of sadness because I understand that like she was so validated by everyone. And like there was this constant, like I stopped going out of the house because I was like, people can't see me. I was like a size zero and I was so terrified to leave my house. But now like after having a baby, like I thought I'd healed from all that and I would love myself at every size. And then I had my fourth baby and my body changed so much this time that I'm like, 
huh, there's part of me that has to grieve and admit the fact that I did my, I did like myself, maybe not at the size zero, but I liked myself when I was like a size 10. I liked myself mm-hmm. when I was like just a bit more there. And it's not like, it is on me to unpack that, but it's also not on me to get it perfect. And I haven't, I haven't, I think for me, my biggest like reclaim of everything is that I still show up in my life. And I think that while we struggle with our bodies and while we make decisions in them, whether we're dieting or whether we're, you know, intuitively eating or whether we're working out or not, or whatever that path looks like, it comes down to the bottom line question. Like, are you showing up in your own life? And what does that look like for you? Are you still there for your kids? Are you there with your friends? Are you there with your family? Or are you staying home because of how you feel about your body? And I think that in the imperfect road, into these conversations and the nuances within them. That's the one thing I keep coming home to because I know that the last two years have been really hard on me mentally going through body change. One that I didn't really expect to have because I kind of thought I was like above it. I thought I was like kind of done. I was really thought maybe I'd finished my journey in body acceptance. And I've, I've been very humbled to the fact that like grief has been a big part of my journey the last couple of years and accepting that. Why do I still part of me still want to be smaller? And why do my, why am I still, you know, having these thoughts and feelings and why do I still like, whether I say it out loud or not, I dabble in dieting. These are very, very real things that like, especially as women, we will cycle through over and over and over again. And I think it takes, I I think it's going to be interesting in 10 years from now to catch up with you and be like, where are you at? Like, what is it? What is your relationship with your body? What is your relationship with everything? And what do you think like for yourself now, like in everything you're doing, like what is next for you in terms of these conversations that honestly you're so boldly and unabashedly having, especially within the nuances of them, like you're 18, what is next for you? You kind of said that you're still into like dismantling diet culture. And then you're also like talking about dieting. So like, these are really interesting uh, both together and contradictions. Like that's really interesting. Yeah. I think I, I mean, honestly, I have no idea what's next. Um, I think like, I'm just really starting to, you know, I, again, I, I've been speaking about this stuff on my own, like social media platforms. Can everyone should follow me on Instagram, it's yeah. Betty oh, we got um, you. <laughs> but it's, I, I speak about that on social media, but it's only been very recently that I've started really like writing about it, doing it in the more sort of like is maybe serious way. And so it's something that I would really love to keep writing about, to keep mm-hmm. talking about. So nothing is set in stone yet, but I've been, you know, speaking with some people about how to make that, you know, move that forward and, and maybe have something, a more like centralized platform to do that. But yeah, I, I really just, this core message of just letting people like love their bodies or be okay with their bodies. And just that everyone's body is their own like private issue that does Mm. not need to be like publicly discussed is something that I think I really hope that I can just spread that message as much as Mm. possible coming from someone whose body was the topic of public discussion for basically all of my life. It's something that I think is really important. I, I feel like I never learned and still really struggle with like with my whole private level. I see it very much as something that is like, yeah, for, for men to observe or for, you know, my family members to comment on. And I think that you need, I mean, everyone always says like, you need to love yourself before you can love anyone else. And like, I don't think that's true. I loved like plenty of people when I mm-hmm. was like, not, you know, loving myself to the fullest extent, mm-hmm. but my body is like the only relationship that I will have for my whole life. And I think yeah. like, 
growing to love myself and growing to like, not love it all the time, but understand myself and be patient with myself. You know, that's something that I'm always working on. And I hope that by talking about that, I can like encourage other people to do that as well for their own bodies. I think at 18, the conversations you're having are, uh, maybe I've just been in different arenas for a while, but it's, <laughs> it's your honesty is, is really refreshing. I love that you don't have it all right. I love that you see the nuances. I love that you see the contradictions and you're willing to discuss them boldly. Where can everyone find you if they're looking to sort of get involved, maybe follow along and where is like a good place to see some of your writing as well? That's my two questions. Yeah. So my Instagram is Betty Kubovi Weiss, K-U-B-O-V-Y-W-E-I-S-S. That is where I'm posting most of my, I post stories. I post on my main feed about just like body positivity. It's really just like my personal Instagram account, but it just Mm -hmm. comes into a lot of my life. And then I post all of my writing on my Instagram. So it's all linked in a highlight there that if you want to go check that out. And once, when new stuff comes out, it'll also all be linked there. So that's the main central hub is just through my Instagram. Oh, same. I love having a central hub. Uh, Betty, thank you so much. (laughs) This has been very, very, very cool conversation. Thank you so much for allowing yourself to be so honest about it all and to allow listeners to sort of unpack their own thoughts about everything instead of just getting it right, which I feel like a lot of times we have this like idea of like, if I don't have it perfect, I'm going to get it wrong and I'm going to get canceled. I'm going to have nothing or like shame builds, right? So thank you so much for sharing your story and for being so open, especially in such a such a unique relationship like you have with your mother, which is sounds like it's incredible now and has maybe always been, but not without flaws. And I think that it's really beautiful to see how you and your mother have like worked through this together as well. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. And for everyone listening, uh, we will see you next week and I'm going to have everything for you in the show notes as always. Thank you so much for listening all the way through this episode. If you've made it this far, I have one more little thing to share with you. Did you know that I actually have a photo and video editing app? So many people were surprised to hear that I have one, but it's actually been around for a little while and you can join over 200,000 of the Papaya community by downloading my free app, Pink Papaya on iOS. While so many apps focus on changing your appearance, Pink Papaya is all about celebrating yourself for exactly who you are and expressing your creativity and your storytelling with nearly 50 free filters and tools. Find us on social and share your edits as well. We might just share them too. So tag me as well at Pink Papaya app. Just had to share that with you, especially as the springtime's coming. We've got some really cool things happening in there and so much more coming. Check it out at Pink Papaya app. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at The Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories and don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.